Welcome everybody to the first ever Taurus Talk podcast here from the SG Taurus Company. I'm your host Matt LePan. Going to be joined every week by my co-host Kevin Ronigan. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Excited to be here for this great opportunity. Now, Kevin, you and I both come from media backgrounds, but we're working with the SG Taurus Company. You working as our trained field sales manager. I'm working in the marketing department. And I think what the goal is here, correct me if I'm wrong, is to bring more knowledge and more transparency from our company to our dealers and even to the end user about what we do. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully at the end of the day, people can walk away with some new ideas, some new techniques that might actually help their business. So excited to get this underway. Uh, I think this idea sprung from a colleagues of ours down in Pennsylvania at Comfort Supply. So kudos to them and a little shout out uh, for coming up with an idea of something new, so a new way to communicate with our customers. Absolutely. We love our friends down at Comfort Supply. They had on our CEO, Matt Bedard, for their podcast. And look at that. We have him on for the first ever podcast here. We have two great guests today. Matt Bedard, our CEO and the president of the company, Stephen Torres. Stephen, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to it. So, Stephen, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your history. You grew up in this company. Start with talking about your dad, Sam Torres, and how he founded this company. Um, how much time do you have? A couple days. <laughs> okay, I'll try to give you the short version of it. My father was in World War II, got out of that uh, only slightly wounded. GI Bill got him through uh, Northeastern University, and he started working for a construction company in Medford in the early 50s. By the mid-50s, he was working for a company called Belco, who um, had a, they were a roofing supply distributor in Somerville, and they somehow got into the sheet metal business. I won't go into the details, but the sheet metal business was in, was in its infancy at that time. The idea of uh, heating a home through forced hot air was a new thing. Up to that point, it was uh, either coal fire or oil-fired boilers. To, uh, to heat houses, and the idea of air conditioning a house was almost unheard of uh, by in the 50s. By the mid to later 50s, he decided to branch out on his own, and in 1958 started the SG Taurus Company in a small building in Melrose, Massachusetts. From there, I guess the rest is history. I came along in 1973, working full-time, so I've been at, with the company for 45 years now been a journey huh it's been quite a journey it was slow and sleepy life was uh, a lot slower back in the 60s and 70s uh, you have no idea um, the pace of, uh, of the workday let me just give you an example when I take an order from a customer I'd ask him you know when does he want it delivered and he'd say well a week from Monday or two weeks now when you ask a customer when does he want it delivered it's not even tomorrow. It's what time this afternoon does he want it? That's how fast uh, the world has gotten. Uh, the company was mainly a distributor of accessories in the in the like the first half of its life. Uh, we had barred oil furnaces, but we didn't sell a, a lot of them. Uh, and it wasn't until the mid '80s, 1985, we got the Weather King line and started to actually sell more heating and air conditioning equipment. And 1989 was a real pivotal year for the Taurus company. We got the American Standard line, which was a brand new line created by the train company to create a sister line, American Standard. 
and the rest there is history. We, our, our growth happened rather dramatically from that point on into the 80s and 90s. In the early 90s, we started opening branches. First branch was down in Randolph, Mass. And it was, it's almost every two years we'd open another branch until we got up to about uh, 10 or 11 branches by the uh, mid-2000s. Stephen, you mentioned 1989 being a pivotal year because that's the year that I was born, so that's why it was so important to the company. <laughs> um, it seems like only yesterday. <laughs> so, Matt, bringing you in here, you know, you've worked your way up through the levels, different levels of the company. Part of what you've done and part of what you do on your day-to-day is install the core values of our company, and we have our, our five core values. Can you kind of go through what it took to get down to those core values, how you try to install them every day, and kind of your journey through the company as well? Sure. As Stephen mentioned, the company's come a long way since 1958. The pace of the, the day has changed. The number of employees we have has dramatically changed. And as we grew, uh, it was important to make sure that we didn't grow different cultures as we added branches. So Stephen mentioned Randolph and then Hudson and now up to 10 branches right now. And we wanted to make sure we didn't have 10 different cultures amongst those 10 branches. And Stephen and I talked a lot about culture and core values. And both of us agree that we don't want to become a company where the core values are something that we, we dream up. It's from top down. We post them on a poster. We, we have an event to announce them and then you forget about them and nobody pays any attention to them. We had stumbled across an exercise in a, in a book called uh, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by a gentleman named Vern Harnish. And he has an exercise to help you identify a company's core values. And essentially what he thinks about is every company has great people. Those great people are the reason why our customers choose to do business with us. If you think about the characteristics that they bring to the table, their habits, you know, how do you zero in on those? And he's got an exercise called the Mission to Mars, which is basically saying if you took your top people and had somebody from Mars um, witness their activities, their daily habits day after day, what would they see? So Stephen and I and some of the other officers in the company essentially sat in the conference room at SG Taurus and we each thought about who we thought the best and brightest were. And uh, we each thought of one person kind of uh, anonymously. We didn't share that with anybody else. We thought about the characteristic that that particular person brings to the table and then we kind of shared notes. What we came up with were the core values, the five core values that we have in place today which are respect or whatever it takes attitude, attention to detail, continuous state of self-improvement, and a sense of urgency. Now, we agree that those labels you could put on any company. We're different in that we wanted to make sure that it was actually the way that we do business. So if you think about our company culture, it's really the Taurus way of doing things. So those five core values drive our performance appraisal process, which over the years has kind of grown and morphed into a more structured process. Our performance appraisal process is simply just that. How do you measure up against those five core values? How do you support the culture? You know, how are you a good fit? How do you make sure that you're doing that every day and making your decisions based on those core values? So, Stephen, we have the core values in place, which really define our people. But what sets SG Taurus apart as a distributor in this market? Is it our products? Is it our people? We've been at it for 60 years, and we've grown to know what our customers want and, and how they want us to perform for them. One of the things we've never done is is go for the, the quick um, profit. We've always invested in the future. We always add people before we really need them. We've always added facilities. We've always added trucks without really a thought at the bottom line. It's more like how do we, you know, if customers say our delivery's not fast enough, well, we, then we add trucks and people. 
if customers say that we don't uh, have a location in a certain place where there's a lot of activity going on, then we open a branch. Some of these branches have taken uh, years to grow into profitability. Others, it's happened overnight. We've always, like I said, we've always thought about taking care of the customer first more than, um, you know, how this is going to help or hurt our bottom line. Now, obviously, that does that only goes so far because if you don't take, if you don't pay some attention to the bottom line, you're not going to be around for too long. But profitability has never been the the main driver. I always thought when I was younger, it's funny when we were a four or five million dollar company. I always dreamed of the day that we reached ten million dollars. I always thought that that was going to be at ten million dollars. That would be the size company that would be ideal. You'd have the buying power with the manufacturer. It would be the perfect size. And we just blew past that so fast. It was a nice thought, uh, $10 million, But you, you can't really stop at any level. You pretty much keep growing. And now we're on our way to $100 million, And now that's the new, seems like it's the new goal. But when we hit that, then it'll be just, it will go right by that too. I think that's what it is, really. It's 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 not uh, making decisions based on what's going to maximize the profitability for this year or even this quarter, like so many corporations do. I was more concerned about longevity of the company rather than the short-term profitability. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that um, attracted me to the company was I came from a, a fairly large utility, uh, lots of employees, lots of bureaucracy. And when Stephen and I first talked about me coming on board, I could tell that what his father built and you know, what he was building uh, was something that I'd really buy into because it was nimble, it was quick, it was progressive. Stephen was making decisions, gutsy decisions, quite frankly, um, to, to grow the company. And that was really exciting. And I think our customers look at us, even though we're growing and we'll be $100 million before you know it, our customers don't look at us as a big bureaucratic entity. They look at us as a family-run company like Stephen's dad started and Stephen's run very well for several years. And I, I do think that's one of the things that differentiates us from the competition. Let's talk about family for a few minutes. What was it like for you and your siblings growing up in this company and getting to know the business that way? Well, quite frankly, I think I was exploited as a child laborer by my father. <laughs> I can remember when I was about seven or eight years old screwing uh, damper handles and wing nuts onto uh, round volume dampers. And I tell you the truth, I don't think I was ever fairly compensated for the, uh, for the labor, and I think I'm going to have to... Uh, Lodge a formal protest, <laughs> but I did. We we did come up that way though. We we you, you used to go to the office on on Saturdays, stamp literature back in the days when there was still paper literature. Sweep the warehouse, do the mundane things, but it was fun to do. You wanted to be there, and it was it was kind of exciting. I have two sisters. One of them is in the business. The other one's husband's in the business. I guess Matt's right about. The, the family atmosphere and one of the problems when you have a, a multi-branch company it, it, it's difficult to maintain that feeling of family when there's people 100 miles away from you that you very rarely see. We talked about the, the family atmosphere and the, the growth of everything. I think part of what I've seen since joining the company is that there's a real pride from Stephen yourself and everyone in the Taurus family that we carry the elite brands. We carry American Sander, Train, Mitsubishi. We try to bring the top-level experience to our dealers and to the end user. Matt, can you just talk a little bit about how that differentiates us as a company, that we have these elite brands and that we can really pride ourselves on being that top-of-the-line distributor? Well, just like our customers have choices of who they can buy from, we have choices 
far as who we want to represent. I know that back before I joined the company in 2007, Stephen had done a lot of work back in the early eight, late 80s, I should say, to, um, to attract the American Standard line. And uh, he had to sell the uh, folks at train on the SG Taurus concept and uh, did a great job, obviously, because they granted us the line back in 1989. The fact that we could align ourselves with a premium brand helps quite a bit because, like I said, our customers have choices. Right? Our customers can choose any, amongst many, many brands, um, yet when they look at us, we're, the, we're very unique. We have American Standard Train in Mitsubishi. We're, we're one of very few distributorships in the country that can say that. Certainly the only one in, in New England. So our customers can see that, okay, we've aligned ourselves with only the top brands. And I say that not subjectively. If you take a look at Consumer Reports, American Standard Train, a top uh, Mitsubishi is the, the top market shareholder in the Northeast. So the fact that we're aligned with them separates us from the competition and helps our customers separate themselves from their competition. Looking at these three big brands, what does that enable us to do differently than our competition? We look at tech support. We look at our inside sales team. We look at our outside sales team. It's all about customer service. And really having those three brands on board has enabled us to do that and do it very well. Well, I think, Kevin, when you talk about the inside sales, outside sales teams, obviously when we're looking to hire and the fact that we represent the premium brands, that means something to talent that looking to, to join our organization. So do they want to go represent brand X or they want to represent the, the best in breed, so to speak. So that helps us from that perspective. And certainly from a tech support perspective and leveraging the technical expertise and the local presence of Mitsubishi helps and the technical expertise of the folks at Ingersoll Rand that represent both train and American standard, that goes a long way also. Yeah. It's funny because uh, in 1989, when uh, American standard was created, I hit, the reason I went after American standard is we, I read a, a story in a, one of the trade magazines about um, Train's decision to create a second brand. I wrote him a letter the old-fashioned way. I got a letter back from the, uh, Dale Green was his name, the guy whose name uh, was in the article in the magazine, and he said basically, uh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, not interested at this point in time, giving me the brush off. I wrote him another letter. It, w it ended up being like a three or four page letter expounding on how uh, what a great company we were and that they was he was making a big mistake by by not taking us on uh, and it's funny I look back we were a tiny company we had one location I think we had three trucks um, probably 20 employees uh, three or four outside sales guys tops and if I was American Standard I would have never given us a line but uh, they said all right well we're gonna we're gonna we have to be up in that area for something. We're going to come up and, and pay you a visit. They came up and they basically said that they were only opening American Standard distributors in areas where train was not strong because they wanted to open it slowly and, um, and carefully and do it right. I kept pestering them and, and, uh, and, and hounding them. And I think the fact that I could uh, write a letter, um, string sentences together, probably um, meant something to them. And before you know it, they said, all right, all right, you can have the line. And it, uh, it was quite a surprise when they said, okay. But let me tell you, uh, at the time, we were only selling maybe half a million dollars of equipment at the time. And the, the rep for American Standard said, oh, within a couple of years, you'll be selling two to three million dollars of American Standard. 
And I, at the time, I thought, what, what's this guy smoking? Because that would have basically almost doubled the size of a company. It turned out to be true. The 90s, it was just a explosive growth for us. Let's talk about my favorite subject for a little bit, which is the train line. Uh, you'll remember I thought it was train you. sales manager. Well, <laughs> that's my second favorite subject. But uh, So we took on the train line in January of 2017. A little over a year and a half now. How was that? Can I interrupt you for a second? That no. that, that was after uh, some serious uh, negotiating. It was almost like 1989 repeating itself, where um, Matt and uh, Mike Donahue did some serious uh, networking, just plying the uh, the powers that be, and and telling them that we would do a better job with the line if they gave it to us. I never thought they would. I never thought they believed in. Uh, um, one distributor having both American Standard and Train. Next thing you know, um, actually it was almost two years ago today um, that they gave us the word that uh, we could have the line. How has adding the train line changed the company? Well, I think it's it certainly helped us grow. At the same time, presented us with some challenges because with change is, is discomfort. And we had a certain percentage of our workforce that quite frankly looked at it as a great positive opportunity and others that looked at it as, as very frightening and scary. Representing two lines, we run parallel sales teams. As you know, Kevin, you great leader of one of them. And Paula Concanon leads the American Standard side of the house and uh, work very well together, but have to run parallel to each other. And so we're not crossing tracks, so to speak. So obviously the American Standard team entrenched um, you know, well-established. They looked at it as, as, a, as a kind of a non-event in some cases, but also as some in-house competition in others. So instead of having that competition be uh, at another distributor, now the competition's in-house. So with that dynamic, um, you know, comes some negotiation, no, negotiating in-house and, and how we handle those challenges, keep everybody happy. And, and we had to make some changes. And uh, quite frankly, we, we, we lost some people uh, who left the company because they weren't comfortable with the change, and we respect that and, and wish them well. But the folks who, who are embracing the change and, and trying to drive the business forward, they're thriving. So when you have the opportunity to represent both brands, obviously that gives you kind of a, a better seat at the table with the folks Mingosaw ran. You know, helps us in that regard in our relationship and gives us opportunity to participate in programs that we might not have had opportunities to participate otherwise, sales management training programs and whatnot. Certainly um, change, but certainly growth opportunities. And, um, you know, more to come. Change is never easy, I think, for any of us. But would you say that's especially true at a family-run business? Especially in this situation. Um, we have certain family members whose uh, name shall go unmentioned. Uh, my sister Susan, <laughs> who, <laughs> who always wishes that we could still be a small company with, uh, like, 20 employees in one location because she liked knowing everybody and, you know, having that small company feel but that's just not the way american business works it's not the way capitalism works going back to when we first got the train line the uh, one of the people from ingersoll ran turned to me he looked me in the eye and said are you sure you want this and at the time i was i wasn't sure because having just the american standard line and and growing the company the way it had it was pretty stable. Everything was uh, humming along, uh, you know, smoothly. And knowing that taking the train line on, it would be opening a can of worms, but it was going to cause chaos. I mean, we had to add about 30%. We increased our workforce by 30% overnight. 
within like six weeks. It, it, it ended up being remarkably smooth, smoother than I thought it was going to be because, I mean, that's, that's a lot of business to be added to a company all at once. And it's a credit to uh, the folks who really were acting like Warren Estes, our VP of operations. Uh, you had to take on a, a lot to help facilitate this change. And uh, a lot of our other employees who stepped up made it smooth. And then we hired great people, and I don't say this lightly, two people in the room, Matt and Kevin, um, added to the mix, add talent to the mix, went a long way. But like Stephen said, went in- incredibly smooth considering how it could have gone. So we've talked about the past and an incredible 60 years here at the Taurus Company. What are we doing to move forward? What does the next 60 years look like for SG Taurus? Well, Stephen won't be here. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I think that one of the biggest things that we're asked to embrace the digital age, and uh, you know, quite frankly, we've done a, a really good job with it. You know, again, Kevin, Matt, uh, two folks who are actually um, involved in our e-commerce platform that's taken us to another level for sure. Uh, that being said, our major manufacturers, Mitsubishi, Train, American Standard, are looking for distributor support on helping our contractor customers embrace the digital age. So how is it they leverage social media? How is it that they work within the Amazon model that's coming, whether or not we like it or not? How is it that we share information across all platforms? So our e-commerce site talking seamlessly with uh, the technical specification folks from Ingersoll Rand and from Mitsubishi, things like that. So. I think that the future um, certainly is going to look different in that regard. Um, I think our, the biggest challenge we have is, is the contractor base getting older and aging out, and how do we help them replace retirees? How do we get the right folks involved? You know, we're seeing a, a transition to the digital age as far as communication goes. Our manufacturers will see a transition to more complex equipment. So the troubleshooting is going to be more electronic focused as opposed to mechanical focused. So that's a different skill set. I do think that we're, we're ways away before we hit that. You know, we've got a few years, you know, of a traditional um, work as it is. But uh, like we, Steve and I used to talk about the e-commerce platform, and we talked about that for about five years before we instituted it. And, uh, you know, I said, listen, I don't want to be sitting here and saying, what happened? How did we miss that? And uh, we pulled the trigger on it, and it's gone very well. We have to try to think forward, okay, what's the next um, e-commerce type thing that we have to be prepared for and be ready for. So always looking at the future. One of the, the biggest challenge for every uh, company, especially in the in the industries like uh, heating uh, and air conditioning, is the uh, lack of a workforce, uh, lack of people going into the industry. I think it's important to look at this as not a long-term thing because situations have a way of uh, resolving themselves. If, if there's a shortage and if there's a need, then the wages are going to rise for the people that are needed. And then more people are going to go into it. So in, in, in probably as soon as uh, seven or eight years, there's not going to be a shortage of people that are needed in the industry. I think it's sort of like the nursing shortage that was uh, a big deal back in the 80s and 90s until the wages for nurses started to rise. And now I don't think you have the same um, shortages that you did then. What we need to do is create our own... Uh, I mean, if the rest of the world's not going to train the kind of people that we need, then we've already started instituting training programs to create our workforce, our own workforce. The only problem there is, like everybody says, what if you train them and they leave? And somebody always comes back with, yeah, but what if you don't train them and they stay? Hmm. Um, We have to make sure that we do train them and they stay. Fortunately, manufacturers, the good manufacturers like uh, Ingersoll Rand and... uh, and Mitsubishi recognized this, and they have some pretty good training 
uh, modules to get some of these guys up to speed. Um, and it's it's you're not looking at a lot of training either. You're not looking at you know you don't need a, a four year degree to do a lot of the stuff we need people to do. I like that between the two of you guys, you just teased about ten of our future podcasts. So everything from employee retention to technology and how it's going to change the industry to what is the next big product out there. So we're going to take on a lot of these topics as this podcast continues and as it continues to evolve, uh, we'll bring in experts and we'll make sure that we cover a variety of different things. There's uh, one other point I wanted to make about the kind of equipment we have, American Standard Train Mitsubishi. Um, it's not uh, it's not the most inexpensive equipment on the on the market. It's it's basically higher end uh, stuff. But if we couple that with the services that we offer, as far as tech support goes, as far as things like uh, e-commerce platforms, um, and you know the basic services like uh, free quick deliveries, fast counter service, marketing support, those kind of things. I mean, we can we can afford to sell the kind of lines uh, like American Standard and Train. Um, some of the uh, some of our competitors, uh, you know, some people will say, "I don't, I can't believe you can even sell this stuff because it's so much more expensive than a competitor's is." Well, you know, so is a Mercedes versus a, a Honda. Um, you get what you pay for, and if 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 customers who are in the same boat as we are, it, where they can't find people. Um, if we take it upon ourselves to, tr- to help train their people, to help train a workforce for them and make it easier for them to sell their jobs, make it easier for them to do their own jobs, we can, we, we can find our niche in the marketplace. But it's, that's the way it has to be. Somebody once told me you get uh, three choices. You get price, product quality, and service. A dealer only gets to pick two out of those three, and that's it. You know, if you try to, if a distributor tries to be all three, they're not going to survive. But if the distributor tries to do only one of them, they're not going to survive either. You have to do at least two out of three. Bringing up a little bit of both of what you mentioned, we talk about how we have some of the best people. Well, we're going to bring some of those people into these podcasts. As Kevin said, we have a lot of topics come up. But Stephen, you mentioned our training, and we're going to have a Taurus Tech Talk. That's going to be the other part of this podcast that people can catch and we're going to have some of our tech guys come in here go somewhere between five and 15 minutes going over common problems that techs might face in the field and they call down to our guys and they're going to come up and they're going to record some of these problems that are run into a lot and that's going to help cut down time for a tech they don't have to call and sit on hold for if there's a backlog of calls and i think that that's part of innovating as matt talked about and bringing some of the customer service that Stephen talked about and like Kevin said bring all of this into one spot and we look forward to bringing that to everyone on here if a dealer out there has an idea that they need whether it be for a podcast for a tech talk you can reach out to us on social media we have Facebook Twitter Instagram YouTube and LinkedIn use the hashtag Taurus talk if you have something you want to hear about let us know folks if you have somebody you want to hear from let us know we'll do our best to get those people on there and we're going to be here every week we're looking to put out a podcast every wednesday with the tech talks coming every thursday and we want to make sure that we're staying up to date with what you want to hear so if you have any suggestions again hashtag taurus talk that's t-o-r-r-i-c-e talk then you can catch us every wednesday and that's going to do it for the first ever episode matt steven thank you so much for coming in taking the time to talk about why this company has continued to grow and why it will continue to grow for the next 60 years 
and we'll catch you next week on Horse Talk.